Welcome to the First Church Orlando podcast. Here you will find recordings of weekly sermons, devotions, interviews, and seminar recordings from the First United Methodist Church of Orlando. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the podcast. scripture this morning comes from the book of Acts, um, chapter 28, verses 17 through 30. It reads, three days later, Paul called the Jewish leaders together. When they gathered, he said, brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors... I'm a prisoner from Jerusalem. They handed me over to the Romans who intended to release me after they examined me because they couldn't find any reason for putting me to death. When the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar. Don't think I appealed to Caesar because I had any reason to bring charges against my nation. This is why I asked to see you and speak with you. It's because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They responded, we haven't received any letters about you from Judea, nor have any of our brothers come and reported or said anything bad about you. But we think it's important to hear what you think, for we know that people everywhere are speaking against this faction. On the day scheduled for this purpose, many people came to the place where he was staying. From morning until evening, he explained and testified concerning God's kingdom and tried to convince them about Jesus through appealing to the law from Moses and the prophets. Some were persuaded by what he said, but others refused to believe. They disagreed with each other and were starting to leave when Paul made one more statement. The Holy Spirit spoke correctly when he said to your ancestors through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will hear to be sure, but never understand. And you will certainly see, but never recognize what you are seeing. This people's senses have become calloused, and they've become hard of hearing, and they've shut their eyes so that they won't see with their eyes or hear with their ears or understand with their minds and change their hearts and lives, that I may heal them. Therefore, be certain of this. God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Paul lived in his own rented quarters for two full years and welcomed everybody who came to see him. Unhindered and with complete confidence, he continued to preach God's kingdom and to teach about the Lord Jesus Christ. The word of God for the people of God. Would you all pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each heart be acceptable in your sight. O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. So, in a moment there's going to be an image on the screen. And it features an illusion. Um, I don't know if any of you have been in the sanctuary on the first floor. Some of you may be visiting. You You maybe haven't been in the sanctuary yet. We've strung up a whole bunch of doves to signify that this is our summer of the Spirit, the coming of the Spirit. We wanted to 
sort of stoke your imagination about the, um, the series that we were going to have. And then right next to that image is an image of a photo that I took while I was on the middle school mission trip. And somewhere, I don't know how this happened, but the, um, the flower looks like it's been separated from the stalk and is sort of flying away. Um, and I don't know why I wanted to tie that image to this. I suspect that it's because while I was on the mission trip, I had this sensation that I wanted to stay in that place, in that valley. And I had the same sensation when I was in, on the high school mission trip. We went to Puerto Rico, and I found myself saying, I could stay here. And then, um, when I wasn't on the mission trips, I was riding my bike a ton, riding my bike so much. And I think it's because I wanted to be anywhere other than where I was. I thought maybe if I went to another place that um, some of the difficulty that I've been feeling would potentially go away with a different context. And some of that difficulty is related to the illusion of our doves. There's this conspiracy against them, and the conspiracy is fueled by gravity. So over time, these doves have been falling in the same way that in the book of Acts, there is this movement of almost entropy. It's like things are falling apart steadily. And so we're talking about the summer of the Spirit, and all of the evidence in front of us shows a world or a creation or a text that is actually moving towards disrepair. So what is the disrepair of Paul's context? Well, so... In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where we began our summer of the Spirit, um, the apostles are given the commission to witness to Christ to the ends of the earth. And now Paul is seeking to fulfill that mission by going to Rome, which in Paul's time was the capital of the world. It was ostensibly the end of the earth. And Rome is an interesting place, an interesting context that I think might sound familiar. It was a former republic. At this time, it had become run by an emperor, and it had become run by an emperor because the Romans abandoned their democracy. They abandoned their democracy for the perceived stability of a strong-handed emperor after experiencing the tumult of growing wealth inequality, partisan gridlock, political violence, and pandering politicians. So this is where Paul is going. And on the way to Rome, you may have noticed in the uh, chapters we just read, he, he's in chains. He's in chains because he was arrested in Jerusalem, because some of the local leaders in Jerusalem weren't liking what this guy was saying. So he's in chains, and he's taking a boat to Rome, the end of the earth. And he, his boat runs into what was essentially a hurricane, and, and the text says a northeaster or a hurricane or a big storm. And he's shipwrecked. So he's in chains and he's shipwrecked and he ends up Robinson Crusoe style on the island of Malta where he's immediately bitten by a snake. He miraculously heals, goes to Rome, and when he gets to Rome, he speaks with the local leaders about the reason that he was arrested in Jerusalem and the leaders say, we haven't heard any bad stuff but we're still interested in 
what you're talking about. So he preaches to them about who Jesus is and what being a follower of Jesus means. And the text says that some people believed and some don't. So there's this ambivalence and there's this ambiguity about Paul's message. In a text and in a world that seems to be devoid of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is with us, if we've been spending all of this time talking about the coming of the Spirit, how are we supposed to project ourselves as a people of the Spirit into the future if the doves continue to fall down? And we're experiencing difficulties that are similar to the text. You may not have been bitten by a snake, but I'm sure sometimes you feel the weight of gravity, right? There's also this sudden end to the book of Acts. We don't get it picked up. It's like the author just sort of cuts it off. Paul gets to the end of the earth, and he says that he's going to continue to preach um, towards an ambivalent uh, people in an ambiguous situation, and the text just ends. That ambivalence and ambiguity about faith and about following Christ, I think, is one that is mirrored in our 21st century context. So some of you know that um, we live in a globalized world. And so the religious landscape, particularly of a place like the United States, is radically diverse. You've got people telling different stories about different worldviews. And so we can't make as many assumptions about the way that we see the world because there are so many worldviews making truth claims about how the world works and how you ought to live. And that has led to the rise of a demographic of folks called the nuns. I don't know if you've heard of the nuns. These are people who, on surveys, will say that they are spiritual but not religious. And about the nuns, there is this quote. As a whole, the 19.6% of U.S. citizens that identify as nuns would still consider themselves to either be a religious person or spiritual but not religious, most younger nuns, millennials and Gen Zers, grew up in proximity to the dominant religion of Christianity. As a result, they perceive Christianity as leading to an obsession with money, power, rules, and politics. As a result of this perception, most of these unaffiliated persons differ from atheists to the extent that they excavate their spiritual selves outside the confines of irrelevant organized religion. A reasonable reaction when viewed in the context of the prevailing religious narrative is labeled Christian in the United States, such as the religious right. So there's another survey that was mentioned in this article that I've quoted that shows how nuns think about uh, the prevailing view of, of Christianity in the 21st century. And this is uh, what many of them have said. 91% say they're anti-LGBTQ. 87% say Christians are judgmental. 85% say hypocritical. 78% say old-fashioned. 75% too political, which I tend to, that's the one that I sort of want to like bracket because I think that Jesus, although Jesus wasn't running for office, the way that Jesus moved in the world was, a, was political. Out of touch with reality, 72%. Insensitive, 
And I am 28 years old. I graduated from seminary last year. I've been a candidate for ordination for four years. I've been in ministry for 10 years. And I've noticed that sometimes I have a hard time telling friends or people who meet me that I am not only a Christian, that I might be a pastor. Because I know that the prevailing view of Christianity is this, and I don't want anybody to make any assumptions about me. And I'm, uh, I'm going to become an ordinant in a context of a church that is experiencing schism similarly to uh, the schism that Paul was experiencing in the first century. There was an argument about what Gentiles had to do in order to become Christians. And the early Christian movement split into two almost immediately. So it, our history immediately involves schism. And there's schism in our church right now. And it makes me disappointed. It makes me... Um, it sort of takes away some of the motivation that I have to become a pastor. And then you match up all of this uh, with my personal situation. So the context of our world is one where the spirit can seem to be elsewhere, not here. I think that sometimes our inner lives can influence the way that we see the world. And my inner life is absolutely influencing the way that I see the world. So Vance asked me maybe a month ago if I would conclude the uh, Summer of the Spirit series, um, and I outwardly said yes, and inwardly I said, did you know that the world is spinning faster? <laughs> and Vance heard me say that inwardly, because he's a wizard, and um, <laughs> he, said, he said, what? And I said, the world is spinning faster. On June 29th, the world spun faster than it's ever spun. And there are some theories about why the world is spinning faster. One of them is that the glaciers are melting and there's not enough weight on the poles. So our access has been thrown off and that's why the world is spinning faster. And my immediate thought was, when I read about this, part of the reason that the glaciers are melting is because of a dominion uh, theology that views the world as something that is ours to take and to have and to sort of run at will without regard without stewardship. So I'm thinking all of that, and I'm also not saying that I didn't complete my ordination paperwork this year. And it, <laughs> it is funny, it, it, it is funny, and it was also, it is devastating, because I've, been, I've dedicated 10 years of my life to this pursuit. And part of the reason that I didn't get my paperwork done is because of stuff that I was dealing with. So I immediately, after getting my paperwork in, I sought a mental health diagnosis and I got it. I started to take uh, medication for the first time for my mental health. I'm still on it. I brought my water up here because the medication makes my mouth dry. The medication also has other side effects. I don't have, my, my appetite is gone. Um, and there's also a sort of, uh, it can add to feelings of depression if you're prone to them. So this medication that I've taken to help with my mental health um, has helped, 
And it's also sort of deepened some stuff that I've already traditionally dealt with, which is depression. I have depression. And my depression influences the way that I see the world. How can I see the spirit if inside of me I just feel this weight that I can't explain? And this absence, not only in relationship to other people, but in relationship to God. So Vance asks me, will you tell us how to continue into the summer of the spirit? And I say the world is spinning faster. One of the ways that I've negotiated some of the difficulty that I've had this summer specifically with my mental health is through escapism. I've mentioned that when I was on the mission trips, I wanted to just stay there. I've mentioned that I've ridden my bike a whole lot. One of my healthier coping mechanisms is reading. And one of the books that I've read is this book, um, Let the Great World Spin, (laughs) uh, by Colin McCann. And you'll notice that there's this, maybe you can see this little guy on a tightrope. The book is set around a man, a real-life man named Philippe Petit. He's a French guy who strung up a high wire between the Twin Towers in the 70s and um, walked across the Twin Towers illegally. Uh, and I, while reading this book, I, I was also bike riding and I'd... I'd went on this bike ride, um, there's a photo that shows this uh, bike ride that I took to Lake Baldwin Park, um, and it, it had quotes. This book is rife with quotes like, but life must pass through difficulty in order to achieve any modicum of beauty. And I sit there thinking about how much courage it takes to live an ordinary life. So imagine me, I've ridden my bike again because I need to be anywhere other than where I am. And I'm sitting there thinking about these quotes. And I think about the, the radical uh, unfairness of, of something like life must pass through difficulty in order to achieve any modicum of beauty. Why, why, why? Why is that the case? Why is it that our joy has to... Why, do, why is it that our joy deepens in relationship to our sorrow and our grief? And why is it that it takes so much courage to just put one foot in front of the other in the direction of the sort of life that you would want to live? I don't know. But I, I was introduced by, to this guy, Philippe Petit. Um, in the next slide, it will show a photo of him. He strung up a high wire between um, Notre Dame. And um, he does this illegally with the assistance of friends and uh, he did it specifically on a date where the cathedral was ordaining priests. So while inside of this building priests are actively being ordained, Philip Petit is walking on a high wire that nobody has heard about and the city stops and sees him, and and there's this quote from an article in the Paris Review about Philippe Petit, and it reads, With the thoroughness of a bank robber preparing a heist, Philippe had gone about his business in silence. No press conferences, no publicity, no posters. The purity of it was impressive. For what could he 
possibly hope to gain. If the wire had snapped, if the installation had been faulty, he would have died. On the other hand, what did success bring? Certainly, he did not earn any money from the venture. He did not even try to capitalize on his brief moment of glory. When all was said and done, the only tangible result was a short stay in a parish jail. Why did he do it then? He wanted simply to do what he was capable of doing. So while Petit is preparing for his high-wire walks, what he would do is he would watch um, bank heist movies to get them hyped up. Because what he would have to do is sneak into a building while there are other people in it with a bunch of equipment, including an enormous tightrope, with a team of six or seven other people, and then he would have to, unnoticed, string up this high wire so that it's appropriately anchored. Um, and in order to do this, he trained with a bow and arrow. He would attach a piece of the wire to a bow and arrow and shoot it over to the other side where it would be collected by somebody else. And then over the course of nightfall, he and his friends would string this high wire up and the thing that he was stealing wasn't anything. He didn't make any money. He was stealing beauty. He had this radical imagination. And he knew that this image of him strung up uh, between these cathedrals would transform the space and show us something about what it might be to be a person, the courage it takes to live even an ordinary life, that our possibility might be greater than we expect it to be. He would go on another high-wire walk in New York City in the 70s for the newly completed World Trade Center. This project of his took five years to complete because he had to... Um, it, it was enormous, much taller than the cathedral. And he, uh, the, the, the World Trade Center wasn't done being built yet. So he would pose as a worker. He made fake IDs for him and all of his pals. And they would go up to the top floor and they would work. They would plan to see how this project was going to happen. And um, sometimes while he was on a floor that he didn't have access to, there were security guards that would come in for a smoke break. So they'd hang up out up there just smoking for three hours, and they would hide all of his friends under a tarp completely still. Some of his friends left the project because they were afraid about the liability of being involved with this project. If he falls and dies, then they're in some way responsible. So some folks left, but it's important to remember that there's a team involved. Um, so finally the day comes, they string up this wire through the whole night, it's 7 a.m. in New York City, um, and it's misty, and he's preparing to take his first step onto this wire. And in his documentary, he says about this moment, at one moment, I had to choose to shift my weight from one foot on the building to the foot on the wire. I'm thinking this is probably the end of my life to step on that wire. And on the other hand, something that I could not resist called me upon the wire. Something that he could not resist called him upon the wire. I think that people like the nuns. I think that they're as interested as we are 
in spirituality, in enchantment, in the miracle of the actual, in meaning, in beauty. And they come to church sometimes. And they come looking for that beauty. They're not looking for um, an institution that's trying to preserve itself or offer answers. They're looking for a deepening to their inkling of an idea, their sense in their soul, that there might be more to this. I'd like to remind us that in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, the commission to witness to Christ to the ends of the earth is matched by Paul um, because he goes to Rome. That was the end of the earth in his context. And Paul reaches Rome in chains and continues to preach in all boldness and without hindrance. And then the narrative ends. He's done it. He's reached to the end of the world. And the narrative ends maybe where we're called to pick the narrative up. So we know in the 21st century Rome wasn't the end of the world. But we can imagine that perhaps our call as folks who are people of Christ, following Christ, believers in the miracle of the actual that is God's creation... Perhaps our call is to put one foot onto the wire beyond the earth. Perhaps in order to continue the summer of the Spirit, to manage our ambivalent context and maybe our ambiguous souls, where one day we believe in God and one day we don't. Perhaps the way to proceed with one foot forward out onto the wire of our lives and our church together, perhaps we need to lean into kingdom imagination. An imagination like Philip Petit, who saw something that other people couldn't see, who stole beauty and was arrested for it. Perhaps the work of the church is to look for that beauty where other people can't see it. That doesn't mean that we need to string up a high wire between our spire and the Dr. Phillips Center. But it might mean that we're called to witness to something other than what is immediately here. I know that I want to be mystified. I want beauty and raw spirituality. I want the miracle of the actual. I want re-enchantment. And I'm not alone. There's this final quote from this book. It goes, you know when you're young, God sweeps you up. He holds you there. The real snag is to stay there and to know how to fall. I'm seeing the doves still falling on the ground. But I'm imagining that they're not falling down, they're falling up. They're falling up on a community of souls, a community of folks who are preparing to embark on a journey where we are called upon the wire of our kingdom imagination. Remember that although it looks like Petit does that alone, he does not. He does it with the assistance of a team, with a community, because we need each other.
And unlike Petit, if we take one step onto the wire of our kingdom imagination beyond the end of the earth, where we're trying to wrest beauty and love and restoration from a context that might not support those things, if we fall, we're not, we're not falling to the ground. We're falling into the hands of God who holds us and lifts us and says, begin again. The summer of the Spirit is not ending today. We are called each morning, every day, to take courage to live our ordinary lives and begin again in pursuit of the beauty and mystery and love of God. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, we invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.